welcome to the first episode of 2018. This is Robert and G.R. Joburg, episode 108. I'm joined by a whole bunch of different guys, all the regulars. Before I introduce them, I just want to mention what we're talking about tonight. Tonight we're talking about a fantastic crossover idea brought to us from one of our listeners. Two Hasbro properties going up against each other. It is G.I. Joe versus My Little Pony. Guys, everyone's been waiting for this. It's going to happen. We're finally talking about it. No, actually, we're not. Sorry, sorry, Dave. We're not talking about that. Maybe next time. <laughs> Tonight, I am joined by... I'm Steve. Uh, happy 2018, everyone. This is our first very belated podcast of the new year. Yo. Yeah, I'm uh, Paul with crickets in the background. Um, and yeah, happy 2018 and all that madness. It's a feeding frenzy. <laughs> <laughs> and... You got Cujo on the West Coast on his mobile iPhone, so this should be one hell of a recording. Hey, guys. Hey, hey, hey. Don't jump, Cujo. <laughs> <laughs> climb, climb to the tallest building, <laughs> but try not to attract the police's attention. Yeah, gents. So, um, wow, it's been a while since we had the full roster. How's everybody doing? Any uh, news and events we can get our teeth into before we get stuck into the, the main event of this podcast? Firstly, I would just like to say thanks to Dave Cabal for the really awesome caricatures that he did of us. Uh, dude, you nailed it, man. You totally nailed it. Uh, I actually received them uh, as a photo from Steve, and when they came through, I just chuckled. They were great. Thank you very much, man. So that that's something that I feel had to get out there. I feel like I don't want to break up the set. Like I don't want to. I don't want to mail you your your caricature, Paul. Sorry, man. But I want to put it in a frame and shit. You know. I want to frame them all together. You know. I'll send you a print of that. Well, I gotta say that Dave Cabal holds a unique honor in my eyes because I don't think I only think two other people have ever drawn me. Hmm. <laughs> like one of your French ladies. <laughs> yes, nobody's drawn me like a French girl or like a covert ninja assassin, which I love, by the way. Good choice, man. <laughs> <laughs> if uh, if any of our listeners are scratching their heads at this point, Dave Cabal, long-time listener, long-time friend of ours from California, sent us a care package. But in addition to the paper goods, uh, he sent us the Tom Scioli Transformers G.I. Joe crossover books and some other goodies. In addition to that, he's a pretty dab hand with a pencil, and uh, he sketched us. But using the card arts for Shockwave, Snake Eyes, and Scoop to create our <laughs> uh, our, our bodies, um, and it's great. It's fucking fucking cool. It's cool. It's very cool. It's amazing. You nailed us. Yeah. But yeah, you did. Back. I mean, now you guys know exactly how messed up Snake Eyes' face is. <laughs> 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 so yeah mad props Dave thank you so much <laughs> uh, and we can't wait to get stuck into those books how far are you guys in your read dare I ask I'm not sure how legal it is to mention my technical issue <laughs> over here on this episode um, so uh, for those of you who know how to use Adobe Acrobat you know that you can just put a whole bunch of images in it and then it can create PDFs for you but it also requires this little skill called patience, okay, and meticulous arranging of the page numbers. 
So Paul has made the ultimate G.I. Joe vs. Transformers graphic novel in PDF format, but the timeline is slightly eschewed. So I'll be doing it again tonight after this episode, and we'll be chewing into that set of comics ASAP. Nice. <laughs> yeah, summer dance. So expect that sometime in the next year. <laughs> Moving along. <laughs> <laughs> Gents, mention Stitcher, Paul? G.I. Joburg has just uh, wildly appeared on Stitcher. So if this is your first time listening to G.I. Joburg and you're a Stitcher guy, well, welcome to the madness. We hope you enjoy your time with us. Feel free to check out every single episode uh, that we've ever done because we've been told they're really good. <laughs> um, so, yeah, please do that. Um, but, yeah, it's great to be on Stitcher. It's great to be able to reach out and touch more of you. Uh, and, yeah, that's that's all I'm going to say there. I don't, I don't think I can say much more. Yep, shout out to Jake Witherspoon for bringing it to my attention. I don't know why I didn't do this from day one, because Stitcher is a free podcast hosting platform. So, you know, come on. Come on, Steve. You dropped the ball, man. Oh, also, Steve there's this thing called YouTube. <laughs> well, while, while we're still on self-promotion here, there's this thing called YouTube. Some of you kids out there may have may have heard of it. And we produce content for it, and we got some wacky and wild content on there with some great reviews as well. Ooh. It gets updated quite often, so please check it out. Should I do it? Should I publish a YouTube video while we are podcasting? I'm totally going to do this. Yes. A G.I. Joe book first. This is the first time I've ever done this. So we can watch the comments roll in in real time. What fun. Fantastic. I got some stuff. Cujo, Cujo, hit us up with the news. Yeah, I, I guess we should mention Barracuda just in passing, um, your last review. My personal favorite moment uh, was when the Night Creeper did that death kick in the pool, and then you got Robert saying, uh, <laughs> you got Robert saying, should have stuck to creeping walls. That's pretty good. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, let's go around the horn. Our, our ally Plastic Battles just started a podcast, so if you're looking to beef up your uh, your uh, cycle, that, that's a good dude. Um, we also, I also wanted to chat up uh, a podcast called When It Was Cool, another one of the uh, Joe Berg Network. Uh, I, the thing about like podcasts, when you're trying to get to know who the people are, etc., how much does geography factor into your listening, guys? Like if you if you hear a voice from a different part of the world, is that interesting to you? I know it's kind of weird coming from Africa. <laughs> Where are the different voices? Yeah, that, that's true. I I, I I I could be mistaken, but I can only recall one non-USA based podcast about GI Joe, and that, that that was full force. But there were some Aussies uh, represented on what's on Joe Mind, I think it was. Or was it Star Joe's? I don't know. Um, so th- there are voices, but the overwhelming majority come from your continent, man. Yeah, that sounds right. We do marketing pretty good. Yeah, man. You guys love to talk. <laughs> Aliens. It, and hey, it's let's, disgusting, isn't it? Let's not lose sight of the fact that it is a real American hero, and we got no bias against that. Well, as you know, America's a state of mind, not real estate. At least I was practicing my American accent from a very early age, and it has served me well till now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
speaking of self-promotion, let's talk about, he sent me a question about what's your favorite American rock song. And I didn't want to hit you guys up previous. I kind of want to do this cold. Um, it's kind of a tough one. I mean, I definitely understand about indecision. I don't care if I get left behind. People living in competition. Anyway, um, do you guys have a favorite uh, American rock song? If you're oh, hell down yeah. the highway. Oh, well, what is it? We Didn't Start the Fire by Billy Joel. All right, absolutely. What an amazing tune. And as soon as you said that, that's the first thing that came to my mind. I was like, that song. There's a lot of really great American music, but that song, when you said it, I was like, yep. <laughs> hmm. What about you, Robert? Well, now that Paul's put that idea in my head. <laughs> 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 that's like literally the only song I can hear. I mean, I love that song, and I remember having the the album it was on as a as a cassette tape. Oof. Yeah. What's that? Oof, that's... That's all I can hear now is that song in my head. <laughs> and and also, I suppose, you know, if I have to have runner up, uh, you know, because why not? Uh, Tommy, um, uh, Tom Petty, uh, but uh, Great White Open. That's also a really great American tune for me. I find that song to be so American and I love it. So Steven, that's, that's another one, Rob, just to get you off there. You know, there's Freebird, there's, there's a lot of tunes. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen from the Outback. <laughs> I'm going to break the uh, the anthemic theme that you guys have gone with. I'm just going to list uh, an artist who... Oh, fuck it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I always tend to go cock me. Oh, dear. I need to work on that. Guys, uh, I, I'm still tapping my toes a lot to Beck's album from last year. It's good, man. It's just really good. But Beck seldom disappoints. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna not go for a classic and maybe just tend more towards current music, but the man's a so genius. So that's your American rock song is is by Beck. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, Up All Night or Colors. I mean, look, you'd have to know his music pretty in detail to be up on uh, current releases, but that album is fantastic. Fair no, I'm gonna say another one that um that I've I've quite enjoyed quite recently is is by a guy named Kieran J. Callanan, and it's called Big Enough. Uh, if you haven't checked that out, go on YouTube, uh, put in Big Enough, and and enjoy. It's it's a proper American anthem, I think. Safe search on, I suspect. Nice. Oh, say um, can you see <laughs> by the dawn? Stop that! I'm gonna have to stand up and salute. Um. <laughs> No, uh, but that's yeah. <laughs> um, let's see, what else do we have? Uh, but no, I I just uh, if you, if you're looking for podcasts, when it was cool, uh, it's a dude, uh, Carl and his wife Tanya, I believe. But uh, they're from Alabama. Uh, the reason why it works for me is uh, everybody talks so fast on the West Coast. Sometimes when you're stuck in traffic, I like hearing people from the South, and that's where we're headed anyway. So get to know the South. They have some in-depth chats. Uh, they're well-rounded. They're a new podcast, uh, so there you are. Uh, let's see what else we got. Um, we do have some YouTube to chat up. Uh, just another G.I. Joe show. You guys know them. They kind of had, not last time, uh, although it was nice to see uh, Shattered Glass. Uh, I haven't watched that full episode. But uh, two times ago, they had one of the admins from uh, Yojo, and he kind of framed the recent unpleasantness. And I thought they did a great job. They were well-spoken. 
they did kind of frame a question that I was curious about to you guys, since we're all in the promotion game. Um, they said it probably wasn't wise for somebody to promote Hasbro content from their personal profile. But it seems to me that nowadays people's personal profiles are the advertising. Um, how do you guys feel about that? Do you think that that should just be reserved for, like, professional? Um, like, you should promote your content from a professional place? How do you see that? Paul? I think uh, with using things like Instagram, I find that people are just as inter interested in... Okay, well, this is this is what I can gather from managing my Instagram, so I don't want to make too many assumptions here, or presumptions, rather. Um, I find that people are just as interested in my life as an artist and as a human being as they are with my content and what I have to say. So I find that often, like, on Instagram, when I post too much artwork, people are like, yeah, okay, that's cool, but then if I go and post a picture of my dog or something in the middle of all of that that changes the flow up a little bit and then people go, oh, cool, you know, he's got a dog, he likes dogs, he's a human being, he likes the sun, that kind of stuff. So I think if you uh, if you look at it that way and you can separate yourself from, say, your product in the sense that, you know, you or, or should I say your fan culture, so if you love G.I. Joe and you want to appeal to Hasbro, then, yeah, I would say, like, you, you could do it, um, but... I would say you should still have some kind of professional stance so that when people disagree with what you've had to say, at least it's not infecting your personal life, or should I say your personal feed. At least that's how I feel about it. That's that's where. So, yeah, so just to sum that up, yeah, it's cool if you want to do it from a personal point of view, uh, but I think you are a lot better off taking some kind of professional stance or signing yourself with some kind of professional stance um, no, I, on the interwebs to, to have a voice with if you want to promote things. Anyway, yeah, I, could, just I mean, I definitely I concur with that just because the person has become the product, so to speak. But I wanted to ask you, Robert, since you work at a comic book store, what's mm -hmm. your end to new books? Like, is it YouTube reviewers? Is it word of mouth? Is it conventions? How, how do you find a new book these days? I think normally, yeah, um, finding new books, I mean, either I look through the the Diamond catalog. I mean, I usually, pay, every time we get a new one, which is every month, um, I look through that. And uh, I usually previews. go from yeah. Yeah, previews, yeah, the previews yeah. uh, catalog. I go cover to cover, I look through everything. And I often do see things that I'm, you know, I'm kind of interested in. Um, but, of course, that's kind of very clinical. It kind of just presents it, you know, amongst everything else. Um I gotta say, yeah. Sometimes the YouTube reviews help. Like if someone's picked something up and they've been like, "Hey, that that's, that's pretty cool." That that kind of gets me wanting to try something out. So often a positive or even a negative review kind of at least draws my attention to something. Like you know, like in a good way. You know, like hey, maybe I can check that out and decide for myself. And also, I'd have to say Twitter as well. I mean, I follow a whole bunch of different creators on, on Twitter and. They often retweet people, friends of theirs. They're like, hey, check out this guy's book. So my exposure to new books is, I think, pretty varied. That makes sense. I, I definitely <laughs> wanted to hit you up with that, uh, given the context of your livelihood. A um, mm -hmm. couple more things. Everybody knows, but it's worth saying, the toys that made us, they got the G.I. Joe show on Netflix, if, if you've been living under a rock. Ooh, I it, totally want to have an episode about that. Not well, now. Well, they... Uh, they, I found it one one interesting thing that caught my attention was Hama said that the cartoon never killed anybody and that was uh, morally reprehensible or something like that. 
he's got to give Friedman a little credit. That guy was tap dancing. Um, anyway, <laughs> beyond that, I do have this to say. Long Beach Comic Expo is coming up uh, in two weeks. And guess who showed up on the uh, guest list? One Michael Larry. Golden. Oh. Um, now, Larry's Larry's in the future. I, it would be an honor to chat with him. But it's going to be – I have lined it up. I'm getting a little more professional at my gig. Um, hopefully, I get to chat with Golden. He's pretty available, or he has been in the past. If you're not familiar with his name, he drew the G.I. Joe yearbook number two, which at the time was heralded as being too cartoony, but now has endeared itself to uh, many fans along the way. It's worth mentioning that he, uh, when interviewed in the past, he said he goes back with Hama, like way back. So it'll be interesting to chat with him. And he did happen to throw the call sign 311 on the October Guard tank. So that's not lost on me. That's coming up in two weeks. Uh, just a heads up. I think that's it, guys. I've been talking forever. <laughs> yeah, damn it, North America. I'd like to quickly give a shout-out to three Dio Story initiatives. Mm. Oh, yeah. Operation Osiris by Mike Horsley. Man, oh, man. I was riveted. Uh, it was a Dio Story with role-playing elements, and it was launched on, on various Facebook groups, G.I. Joe Facebook groups around Facebook, Sort of a dio story with a crossroads at the end, and it was conducted via um, Facebook likes. So you'd like the image of the path that you want the guys to take. What an ingenious idea, and what excellent execution. Uh, Mike is a, clearly a very polished dio writer, and his sets are, well, yeah, reason to celebrate on their own. I mean, even if he wasn't producing narratives based around these sets um they are fantastic play sets so that was exciting uh, i certainly hope it resumes it certainly left us on a bit of a cliffhanger <laughs> it seems like um yeah all hell has broken loose literally then there is a dire story that is ongoing on histank.com called the initiative check it out under dire stories there's a drop down folder for it called The Initiative, which has run into about 83 pages of, of his tank content. Uh, and it is, well, I mean, the, the broad stroke of it, because to my, uh, to my chagrin, I have not um, been able to read it all just yet, but it does look like it's a beautiful smash-up of G.I. Joe and Marvel Universe action figures uh, and, and characters. It looks like G.I. Joe is being approached by S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, and you can just imagine what that means <laughs> for our real American heroes. All of a sudden, the roster of bad guys does not just uh, limit itself to Cobra, but the pantheon of supervillains too. That's something that I guess we always wanted to do as kids, you know, just smash up our properties. Well, there is a dire story out there for you. And then lastly, a guy on our thread, uh, on our G.I. Joburg Facebook group, a guy called Buck Hurd, has just released a very tantalizing image from a dire story that he'd like to start. Seems to feature Red Star in a 
quite an intriguing setup and quite an intriguing image. Uh, certainly got me guessing as to where it might be going. I certainly hope you get stuck into that buck. Go for it, man. Uh, you got a fan in me. And that's it for new mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, guys, I mean, uh, we've been really busy with uh, trying to get ourselves to G.I. Joe Con. And uh, as, as a result, haven't been spending money on toys or anything. Uh, that and January always tends to leave you a little poor. Um, but even still, I think we're, we're all trying to focus ourselves on Joe Con this year. So I'm sorry that we haven't got any cool new toys to talk about. But uh, I think the mission here is quite serious and, and, and worth not buying toys for. What, what say you, gentlemen? <laughs> Are we repping Joe Con right now? No, I just thought I'd just, you know... Remind people that we that we are fighting to try and make it happen. So, mm, I I think it's yeah. I, I mean, you know how there's kind of like milestones. Uh, and again, if you're on the indie side, this is all new. Like I'm not a businessman per se. I know how to handle my business, but you know, I think we got maybe two months before you guys got plane tickets, right? Yeah. Yeah, I I'm still I still think this. If you're in Joburg right now. It means something. We all know it does. So grab a couple T-shirts, save up. What is it? Seventy-five, right? Still seventy-five. Oh yeah. yeah. Yep, for two. Yeah. yeah and, I think that's and, the way to go. I know that's a chunk. It's a chunk for me too. But uh, it just feels like the right thing for me. That's where I'm going. But hey, guys, like the way I see it is, um, if you if you don't want a twenty-dollar T-shirt or you don't want to get a sketch commission or anything cool like that, honestly. That five dollars that you've got kicking around in your wallet, throw that at us. I, I'm I'm sorry, I'm going to be shameless. I'm just saying, throw it at us. It's five dollars going to a good place, and we've got a lot of exciting stuff planned, at least from our point, uh, from our side, content-wise and whatever. So we're not well, asking you to surrender millions, but you know. <laughs> dude, the guys on uh, just another Joe show, they're repping the con pretty hard too. I got a hunch that. We got a lot of smart people in one place at one time, and a lot of people that are, you know, Hama will be there. I'm going to see if we can get some other names there. I know Word Burglar is going to be there. And if that name's not on your radar, I don't know about your Joe fan cred. So there's going to be some people there, and you know we're going to network the shit out of it. So it's time. It's time. Cool. It's also important for the South African members of this podcast to get some grasp on what the G.I. Joe community is like in the flesh. Yeah. We have great contact with a lot of you guys out there uh, via electronic means. But, you know, I I do always feel like we are kind of isolated. Uh, I want to get a handle on what what the the, the, the the buyer's tables are like, or the deals or whatever, I don't know. Like just seeing a, a, a massive collection of, of, of G.I. Joe stuff up for sale, what that might mean to me, it might be a very moving experience because I've always lived from, you know, one junk pile to the next, hoping, just praying that I might find G.I. Joe stuff. To like be, a G.I. Joe thing. Yeah, yeah, to be greeted by an entire room of it, I'll lose my mind. It'll have the effect of really <laughs> invigorating this podcast as if we need it. But, I mean, for me, it's it's going to be a renaissance moment for my hobby. A real refresher, a real opportunity to I'm remind myself. Out. I mean, yeah, no, I'll, I'll, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run around, like, screaming. 
<laughs> probably run into a wall, uh, wake up. We're going to be like, oh my god, look at that thing, look at that thing, oh my god, how many toys, oh my god. <laughs> you joke, but it's probably going to happen. Anyways, Rob, what were we going to say, man? Uh, yeah, any amount of money is awesome, and Jokon would be the coolest thing ever, I think. Mm. Just, just, yeah, I mean, like, physically, as Steven said, physically meeting, you know, not just fans, but actually being in a room where, like, every single person is into G.I. Joe. Even the ushers, I'm sure, you know, like, <laughs> everyone working at the event <laughs> is into G.I. Joe. That'd be a really cool experience. Um, I think Steven and Paul are both kind of, you know, like, they're going to pass out, they're going to run into walls. Um. Rob's going to But, like, it is the weirdest thing because like and, and this is the last thing I'd like to say on this um, and I'm going to share this story with you guys so there's this really cool film that I enjoy called Yes Man and uh, mm. I, it, it was on Netflix I really dig it it was on Netflix the other night and it's a film I'd seen and I was like oh cool you know what I haven't seen Yes Man in a while I really dig Zoo de Chanel I enjoy Jim Carrey and I love Zoo de Chanel's band the Munchausen by proxy in the movie, so I enjoy the music. So I was like, oh, you know what? It's a cool movie to have in the background. Anyway, um, as is usually the case with films, I often have them on in the background, and I draw or I work on a model kit or clean toys or something. But this time, it started sort of slowly visually arresting me again that I put down everything and was watching the film. And there's a sequence in the movie where they do photographic jogging, and the one guy has got a Cobra shirt. He's actually wearing a blue shirt with the red cobra sigil. And I don't want to sound funny, but it's just kind of like, it felt like a sign. Okay. It was like, yes, man, say yes to this. There's a guy in this movie with a cobra sigil. You know, you're going to America kind of thing. And it was like, so I just wanted to spread some weird, kooky, positivity vibes. Anyway, and we're to our next topic. (laughs) I just wanted to ask quickly. Are you sure it's not Zoe Deschanel, Paul? Not did you. I say Zoe Deschanel? Yeah, you did. <laughs> oh, my bad. It's probably because of the honey spelled. Yeah, sorry. It's Forgive Zoe him. Deschanel. He's from Gauteng. They speak funny there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm so sorry, Paul. I, I just think it's it's, it's funny. It's, it's cool, though. You know, it's like, you know, you guys got something special. You know, yeah. you got a cool nickname for her. Well, I, I had an ex named Zoe, so I do actually know the word. It's just... It's just I keep seeing a Zooey de Chanel, you know, because that's how she is. Yeah, on it Facebook. does look like that, though. Yeah. It, it definitely does look like that, because it's like a double R. Totally. Mm. And your ex. Her name is Zooey, because she's so good. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 that's an ex from, like, long, long ago. Anyway, cut that out. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> that's staying. And by the way, gents, we have just received our first comment on our most recent YouTube video release. And it should come as no surprise, it's a guy called Terry Turner, a very, very regular commenter on our videos. He says, Shipwreck's Isle. And if that makes no sense to you, well, the video is about the transportable tactical battle platform. And yes, Shipwreck does own everything on it. Or at least he makes everyone feel like he does. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Shot that one with Go Rob. check it out. Yeah, man.
So, in, in, not to ruin all this joviality, um, but I believe our, our, the main topic of this uh, episode is is some sad news, which I'm sure a lot of G.I. Joe fans uh, probably know by now. Um, the shutdown of Toys R Us. Does someone want to elaborate a little bit about what, what went down? I think we need to kick it to America uh, and see what uh, Long Beach has to say. Thing is, he's, closer, was... he's like, closest to the epicenter. I think Toys R Us... Uh, it's hard to place these kind of things because you can say the word blockbuster and people remember what it feels like to go through there and say, I hope they have my movie. Toys R Us is kind of like that version when you're a kid because they had everything and they had walls of it. So I don't know. Are you guys feeling the loss of that kind of experience with like Netflix and stuff like that? The anticipation? Oh, I do. I used to pick up girls or try to pick up girls at... Because we also had a video rental chain in South Africa called Blockbuster, but it wasn't the same Blockbuster. I think it was just that these guys had seen it overseas and went like, okay, we're going to create Blockbuster here. But yeah, man, like video stores are awesome. You used to go in there and used to be like, you didn't know, you know, there was no internet and stuff like that. So you didn't know really what was good. So these uh, VHS boxes were like selling... Uh, the films to you and you know stuff like robot jocks and then you know the friday the 13th films from i mean speaking personally um uh, like, go bots you know um like so on like, the toys but, tip though yeah well that's what i'm saying so like <laughs> you know like so that that was always a, like a magical experience and then yeah toys are us <laughs> I've spoken a lot. I'd really like you guys to go for it a bit yeah i've already got one or two really cool stories about toys are us but uh, they don't involve picking up girls. <laughs> <laughs> you well, pick them up at Blockbusters. I'll get Dude, my personal... personal I've uh, cool girls at video stores. I'm just saying. I just want to put that out there. Oh, thank okay? goodness, because I, I, okay. I thought you were going to go with Toys R Us. And, uh, I mean, I'm pretty sure the average age of a girl in Toys R Us would be closer <laughs> to half of yours. Guys, we're I, dangerous you know, territory. You know, I'm just saying, you, you think so, but, you know, a lot of them were, like, 30-year-old moms and things like that. And, you know, they've got kids, so, you know, they put out, right? I'm not going to dignify that with a response. <laughs> oh, oh, God. <laughs> the kids are the moms. <laughs> the moms. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's... Uh, I, I can hear the FCC. No. Uh, anyway. What, uh, now no, that we're on Stitcher, the, we're liable to get uh, yeah. buzzed. Well... It's already jumped the shark, but it's it, we're on three time zones, so you know we're on everybody's radar. But anyway, uh, I definitely I, my personal Toys R Us story. Am I feeling the loss of like a communal shopping experience? Not really, but that's personal, and and you guys can kind of elaborate on your side. Uh, going to Toys R Us, it's actually my only story that I really want to speak on about Toys R Us is. It was the it was one of the most notable things I ever stole was at a Toys R Us and it was a GI Joe action figure. Um, yeah, any any guess on who that figure might be? Just a blind guess. Did you steal a crystal ball, Kujo? Oh, that's so damn close. What do you got, Rob? I was gonna say Martin Junkyard. Oops, that's real far away. Not not so close. It's Firefly. Mm. That one, that one would have been nice, but no, you know, I didn't make it to Toys R Us that often, but I went in and they had Croc Master and I peeled it open and he left inside the old whitey tighties, you know, but 
I did. Uh, I did. He's gone from Gator Wrangler to <laughs> Python. Let's, let's just take a, a second there to absorb that Crocmaster was in your tidy whities. <laughs> it is. There's a Crocmaster. I need an exfil. Cobra's like, Cobra's Oh, hang tight, Crockmaster. We're sending yeah. in the tidy whities. Well, why do you, why do you think the uh, Cobra GI Joe books traumatized me so much? Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I actually I felt guilt. I felt guilt about the whole situation. Ended up going back and paying for the figure. I'm sorry, and I, I'll Did never Cobra train a fireman. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh man, Croc had to share share a share a seat with Cobra's answer to barbecue. <laughs> now you know why they came out with the red edition of Crocmaster. Enough said. Oh damn. <laughs> but uh, no, I went back. I paid for the figure, and I can still remember the general manager's face. And he's like, "Why did you even bother coming back?" That's what he asked me. <laughs> And that's that's my that's my Toys R Us story. Uh, Rip, so wait, he knew he knew that you were the little kleptomaniac. Yeah. Well, because Quijo went back to pay for it, but like his yeah. face was like, "Why did you come back?" <laughs> oh. Yeah. What What do you got, Robert? You got any Toys R Us stories? Well, I I gotta say, um, like when I think I originally heard that the Toys R Us was coming to South Africa, I think I was pretty excited. They sort of, a lot of the information that I read uh, in Toy Fair, you know, the uh, the sister magazine to Wizards, you know, the one that focused on toys, they always show these awesome, you know, like exclusive figures you could get there. And like my mind just went crazy. I was like, wow, we could actually get like proper toys instead of like the knockoff stuff that we get at all the other toy shops in South Africa, um, which all seem to get their toys all from the same place. Mm-hmm. And then eventually Toys R Us opens, and then I walk in there, and I'm like, wow, it's it's just like all the other toy stores, it's bigger. <laughs> It's like it's 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 a different you know brand name store, but it has essentially the same stock. I was I was exceptionally I think yeah the first time walking out of Toys R Us I was just exceptionally disappointed. Like just what my imagination of what the American ones were like was just it was it was too big. And then what we got was just the same stuff and I was like oh thanks, you know I'm not, I'm not gonna get cool Star Wars toys or any uh, you know. G.I. Joe exclusives, not that there were any at that time, you know, I think when Toys R Us opened here, but just that all those possibilities just went poof, just disappeared, and I was like, oh, okay, Toys R Us is just, yeah, another shop. Um, probably the most significant thing I can re- remember buying from Toys R Us was, the, was my original Xbox 360. That was a cool experience, because... Yeah. Um, that was a really good console and tons of really good games for it. But I feel like Steven is, is going to be able to elaborate on some really cool stories um, that we share. Although I think the, the one that I remember is that we, we were so desperate <laughs> to go and look at Toys R Us one time that we, we basically just walked all the way there. Um, <laughs> and I think it took us about an hour to get there no, no because we, we couldn't get a lift with anyone to like from where, where we are staying at the time um with my mom and we just but fucking walked the, the, over the there the joke was that toys R Us was literally like five minutes away but it was five minutes down a highway yes yes <laughs> so in terms of actual distance it seemed very it was very deceptive 
So we settled Oh, I know which walk, one you're talking about. And it was an epic, <laughs> epic walk down the N1, the national one. Yeah, it was it yeah. was fantastic that experience. Uh, yeah, I think I think we we'd gotten we'd gotten past the halfway point and we were like we just got to press on, man. It's going to be so <laughs> worth it. There's going to be so many epic toys that we have to buy. Oh, there. Haven't gone in such a long time. They have to have new stuff, definitely. <laughs> nope. <laughs> a lot of the same stuff. Um, not that we never bought cool stuff from Toys R Us. I mean, it introduced us to some of the uh, the knockoff kind of like Joe stuff, like um, you know the helicopters and some of those cool vehicles that we've we've kind of gotten. What are they called? Strike Strike Team China, something like that. Toys R Us had a lot of Chapmay <laughs> stuff, and they still do. Chap in May. fact. Okay. Mm. Well, not anymore. <laughs> Ooh, burn, burn. But I'm going to contradict you ever so slightly, Robbie. Uh, you said that uh, there wasn't any cool Star Wars or G.I. Joe stuff. That's only half right. True, our Toys R Us never got any G.I. Joe merch, and it's very unfortunate because I was totally expecting you know, that to be true. Except for a smattering of like spy troop stuff, which was clearly overstock from the United States and Europe, and they're just trying to push it off <laughs> into South yeah. Africa because it wasn't selling. I remember picking up three uh, Spy Troops Conquest X-30s just because they were uh-huh. so dirt cheap. I was like, wow, we really are getting United States pricing in Africa mm. because I think they were like less than the equivalent of like $20 each. But besides that, uh, Toys R Us appeared in South Africa in the sort of 1994, 1995, 1996 era. And the one closest to us... Not the one five minutes down the highway, thankfully, but the one closest to where my folks were. They had a great selection of Star Wars toys because it was that era when Power of the Force was big uh, by Kenner and uh, the Star Wars license was up for grabs from other companies as well. For instance, Galoob, the makers of Micro Machines, put out their Action Fleet line. And so we very systematically set about getting the full set of action fleet vehicles <laughs> and playsets. I think you were scheduled to get the Hoth playset, and I was scheduled to get the Death Star. Robbie, you let us down, man. We never got that Hoth playset. It's fine, guys. I got them both. What? No, I'm kidding. I never did. No, I never did. You're talking about the really big ones. No, I never did. Damn it, man. <laughs> you got my heart a flutter. But the earliest Star Wars toys that we rolled up, I think it was the first time we'd ever set foot in that Toys R Us. I remember it was a Saturday morning. My father had driven us to the sort of vacant field on the other side of the railway tracks. I guess he didn't want to pay shopping mall parking. <laughs> so we, we went on a little pilgrimage under the subway and into the shopping center that held the Toys R Us. And went in there and immediately fell upon the Star Wars action figures selection. And you can't beat it. We walked out there with two bounty hunters. The one being the kind of a cheat, and it was yours, uh, Leia in Bosch disguise. <laughs> and I walked out with the man, Boba Fett. Preach. Oh, yeah. And this set us on a whole new play pattern of, like... Star Wars Bounty Hunters. That's all we wanted to play. You were some character called Bosch. Like Boba Fett's 
I suppose, right-hand man slash woman. I don't think we ever played up the secret identity aspect. That could have been interesting, Rob. Or did we? I don't know. I don't think we did. I think it was just she's a bounty hunter, um, and she just happens to look like Leia, maybe, <laughs> if, she, if she took her helmet off. <laughs> That's funny. I, I, I don't even recall playing her as a female. So, yeah, your, your cover was good, man. She could go as a kind of a stringy dude. I remember playing her as a, as a dude as well. Mm, she could be an alien, uh, and the physique of an alien male could well, be smaller. The, the Bosch mask has kind of endeared itself to the Star Wars community. It shows up in The Force Unleashed, I believe, as an alternate mm. mask, I think. Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, of course, that was in a great, great memory that mm-hmm. I have associated with that Toys R Us. Um, and prior to Toys R Us's uh, financial woes, that Toys R Us closed its doors a long time ago and is now a gym, sadly. A sad reflection on society's focus on self-improvement as opposed to the joy of playthings. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Nerds versus jocks. It will be the eternal struggle. They always win. No, I think we're on the comeback trail. <laughs> Jokes or nerds? I'm not entirely sure where you're coming from. What well, <laughs> about you, Paul? What's your Toys R Us memory? The first uh, Toys R Us, I think in the country, was set up in either Santon City or Santon Shopping Center and Westgate Shopping Center. Those were the first two. Um, that I, as far as I remember, okay, but this could be shaky and I haven't done any research and fuck it. Um, but <laughs> it is about 92, it was 1992 and 1993, uh, because Alien 3 and Batman Returns were in theaters. And the reason I remember that is because I had to go with my mom to Westgate. Uh, she was meeting a friend for coffee and then we were meant to go to Toys R Us afterwards, but we never did. Because, you see, my mom didn't want me to go by myself. And fair enough, uh, Westgate is a pretty big mall, um, especially if you're all of, like, seven years old or eight years old. I can't even really remember. I think I was about eight or nine years old. So my mom didn't want to take the chance, you know. Um, of course, you know, I was, like, wanting to watch Alien and Batman Returns as well. So, I mean, you know, shame. The poor woman had to deal with me being irritating. Anyway, so I never, never went. But I think uh, about a year had passed, and I'd sort of begged her to go because I really wanted to go to Toys R Us. I'd never been to one, and I was like, wow, this is a really cool toy shop. And uh, so that our viewers understand things a bit better, uh, the only places that I got toys from as a child were from um, superstores, like supermarkets. Um, so in our case, Pick and Pay, Hyperama, um, Checkers, um, and then stationery stores like, um, like CNA. Uh, those were where I got most of my toys. And then you would get specialist toy stores like, um, you know, mom and pop kind of shops that were actually really good and usually filled with imported toys, uh, which is where a lot of the, I would say, more connected kids would get their really cool He-Man, Masters of the Universe figures from and Thundercats from that weren't on the pegs and say the other retail outlets like the superstores. Uh, That's also when for Dino Riders. Anyway. So, um, yeah, I managed to beg my mother to take my friend David and I. Yeah, that was true, because David was was with me. So it must have been about 93, about a year after I first went there. And then she took us through to Toys R Us to Westgate. And, okay, so here's how it went. I went into Toys R Us, and I pretty much hyperventilated. (laughs) 
<laughs> and pasta. <laughs> okay. Joke on effect. Yeah. Uh, that's why, like, it was so funny that that came out because I was so excited, so excited, and I took a turn around and I saw, and at that time the X Men toys were really big, so they had this the most X Men toys I'd ever seen from Toy Biz, and they had a few GI Joes and Batman stuff, and I just about plonked. So I just plonked, and then I woke up a little bit later at the stairs, and like with a bit of a headache and whatever, I remember going back, and I honestly couldn't tell you. I think the first toy I ever bought from Toys R Us was a, was a Strife action figure uh, from the X-Men line. I don't know why Strife, but I remember David getting Shatterstar. And then I remember also get it, seeing the Batmobile and then sort of like just about wanting to die because like I couldn't get it, obviously. And it was 350 Rand. Um, and that's the Batmobile from the Batman animated series. Um, uh, so that was that was my first memory of Toys R Us. The second one went a little bit better, and this is why. Uh, obviously, I didn't pass that from excitement because I was kind of prepared. The, the mission was like, I was ready for this. And I uh, managed to go in and have a real look around. Now, at this time, for some reason, that Toys R Us specifically carried G.I. Joe, but they had a lot of the Ninja Force stuff. And if they had other stuff, I can't actually remember. But I remember picking up the the Night Creeper, the pink and blue one from there. And sorry, my timeline might be a bit messed up because I'm just going through memories. And unfortunately, memories are a bit like, you know, lights in the, in the dark. You don't get to see everything on the road, you know? I'm pretty sure we were having those Shadow Ninjas toys, like, 93, 94. That's where we kind yeah. of caught up to regular Hasbro releases, <laughs> ironically. Yeah. At the 11th hour. Mm. But I remember getting uh, going in there and then... They were like 20 bucks, I think. I think they were 25 rand. But now I had really gotten a feel for this Toys R Us. So I was starting to explore. And the one thing about this Toys R Us that was really cool was that it was it was huge. Okay, I, I mean, they've since reduced its size um, from when I went last time. But it was massive. Okay, And it had a lot of old stock. I mean, it had stock of toys, I think, from the early 90s and some stuff from the 80s. So there were a lot of hidden gems in that place. Like, for example, they had the NES Power Glove, and it was on special. You know, like they were trying to get rid of that. And they had um, Transformers stuff. And this was very cool because um, they – and I never picked it up, but I, and I kind of wish I did, but they had a G1 Optimus Prime, but in Japanese packaging. Um, so it was the Japanese G1 Optimus Prime that they had there. And I think it was like a re-release line that they did in the early 90s or something, because there's no way it was the original release. Um, but they also had a lot of other really cool Japanese mecha uh, figures and and vehicles and all kinds of stuff stowed in this one section of, of that Toys R Us. Now, having met David, I just sort of had my sort of uh, anime awakening, like kind of like, okay, there's Japanese cartoons and these things like Dragon Ball and there's mecha stuff. And then there's Super Sentai, which is commonly known to most people as Power Rangers. And then the Tokusatsu stuff, Godzilla, giant robots, um, giant things. Anyway, but they had a lot of those toys. They had a lot of the stuff from Japan, like Space Force Galvan and, they had um, these guys called the Armored Police, and it was quite cool because I remember Dave had a blue and white Armored Police character, and what always drew me to it was that it was a very well-articulated um, figurine, a little bit bigger than a G.I. Joe, but it had um, uh, ports in it in its body, like holes in its body, and you put on this armor, but the armor wasn't like a knight's armor. It was a mechanized exosuit. 
Um, and this um, exosuit could turn into some other vehicle when it wasn't the armor. So in my case, it was like a kind of like a like no, actually it was a mech. It becomes its own sentient kind of mech thing. So I got that. It was black and orange, and that was one of the coolest toys I've ever bought. And I think that was like my gateway drug to buying Japanese robots and Japanese uh, figurines, and and me sort of going down the trip of a lot of the times they were better. But coming back to well, that, that was awesome a surprise part. ending. Honestly, Paul, I expected you to say, and then I woke up, because this sounds like pure fiction. Mm-hmm. A Toys R Us that had all of this. My, my Toys R Us had that, but it wasn't like, it was It was like the dead stock. It was like the stuff they kept in the dock. And what was interesting about that Toys R Us is that it wasn't... It was Toys R Us. Toys R Us. Wow, man, I yeah. am... Because and I think I think the only way the only answer I have for it and and also remi- remember that Reggie's also got a lot of interesting Japanese toys as well. I think it was because at that time in South Africa's uh, in South Africa's sort of development and whatever, we were very good partners with Japan. Uh, you know, if you guys don't know this, South Africa was one of the first countries, if not the first country, to create a relationship with Toyota. Um, which put us in very, very big books with Japan. And uh, I know this because I met one of the, the Japanese or South African ambassadors to Japan that used to go over and broker a lot of these deals. He was a big fan of anime and used to come and buy them, buy that stuff from Anime Works when I was working there. So we used to talk about this. So I think our relationship with Japan was really good because we were getting a lot of interesting stuff like that. Okay. Um, and that was only in my Toys R Us. That's why when I heard about your Toys R Us experience, I was like, wow, I'm actually really surprised. But then on the flip side, my Toys R Us had very little in the way of like Ninja Turtles and very little in the way of like anything Star Wars-esque or whatever. That only sort of came in a little bit later, as I remember. And then I remember seeing um, the Star Wars, uh, the, the Galoob stuff that used to sort of come in. But my big focus at that time was uh, Toy Biz figures and... Um, Batman the animated series. So I used to make a sort of monthly pilgrimage or try to get my mom to make a monthly pilgrimage to that Toys R Us um in hopes of sort of whittling her down to buy me the Batmobile. And which brings us to I'm going to say my second last really amazing Toys R Us memory, um, at least as a kid, was going to Westgate and getting my Batman the animated series Batmobile. That was magic. That was such an awesome day. Because it was still there. Um, nobody's parents were obviously crazy enough to buy their kid a 350 rand toy, which I'm sure at the time is equivalent. I'm sure it's the equivalent of like 800 bucks now, or 900 bucks now. I'm sure. Um, what a, a fantastic toy! You bought a Batmobile yeah, the, recently, man. Wasn't it about 1,800 rand? Yeah, but that thing is twice the size. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, the Batman animated series Batmobile by Kenner uh, at that time. And still to this day, in my opinion, is a really great representation of the animated series Batmobile. There was no way we would ever get a clean cast Batmobile that looked exactly like it did in the animated series. But the play feature that they added to it was actually fun and for the most part unobtrusive. So what a great toy. And then over years, you know, like that little section, that little corner in, 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 in the Westgate Toys R Us basically slowly reduced itself to mostly being Zoids. Um, but actual Zoids. And the only reason I can say that now is because now that I know what Zoids look like and I've actually gone and looked at old school Zoid packaging. And now I'm like, oh, that's what that was, the robot dinosaurs, which 
I was always intrigued by it, but never really bought. And then, obviously, you know, the, or not obviously, but the video game thing started happening. And I'd say one of the other really cool Toys R Us memories for me was fairly recently, um, and I say that I think about six, seven years ago, uh, my timeline could be off here, probably about 2008-ish, but the G.I. Joe Spy Troops. And this was preceded with me finding G.I. Joes in Checkers at Cresta, which was also a good place to find old toys because old toys were always sort of hidden there. It's weird, like, like for example, finding G.I. Joes there with the DVD and everything. I, I was over the moon, obviously, because, you know, we'd find G.I. Joe in a toy shop or in a, in a supermarket. But then um, somebody, I don't know how it happened, but somebody was at was a customer of our store, somebody I spoke to. He never knew I was a fan of G.I. Joe. I think somehow it came out of my mouth. I said G.I. Joe or Yojo or something ridiculous to that effect. And he was like, oh, you're a G.I. Joe fan. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, have you been to Toys R Us recently? And I'm like, no, I haven't. He's like, go to the one at Four Ways Crossing because they have a whole bunch of G.I. Joes there. He's like, they're, like, they're similar to the old ones, but not really. But go and have a look. They're really cheap. I think of, I think they were like 60 bucks for a, a three-pack or something. So I uh, promptly made a plan to go to that Toys R Us. And they did indeed have the three-packs. And I picked up a Baroness and Destro with a uh, mainframe three-pack. Um, but it was all the spy troop stuff, as Stephen mentioned, um, the big shoulder guys. And I picked up the Fang 3, <laughs> which in hindsight was kind of a stupid purchase. But I think it was just like, oh, cool, I could buy a G.I. Joe vehicle. I'm so excited. And it wasn't that expensive. I think it was like 120 bucks. And I picked that up. And I, I think the pilot, I think he's great. He's a great filler pilot for a lot of Cobra vehicles. But, you know, it's not like the coolest thing ever, but it is cool to have found G.I. Joe in a Toys R Us again. Uh, because ironically, I'd only ever bought Night Creeper from Toys R Us um, prior to that. So, not a lot of G.I. Joe memories with Toys R Us, but a lot of like really great toy memories and a lot of good memories there. Anyway, that's that's Paul's Toys R Us experience. And before I, I let you guys go and, and uh, hear more of the stuff that we have, it's kind of why I always walk into a toy shop. Stephen is quite aware of this, um, and I think Rob is to a degree as well. But I cannot I, I very seldom can walk into a, a a mall with a toy shop without visiting said toy shop it's a weird um compulsion of mine but i i know where it's <laughs> paul i'm pretty sure it's a weird compulsion of absolutely everyone listening to this podcast <laughs> well there you go right put up your hands and bro <laughs> <laughs> no because i remember I, I had to explain myself with this once and uh and i said it's because i know one day there aren't going to be toy shops like this. I'm not going to be able to walk into a toy shop and that sort of spirit of wonder won't be there. And so to hear that Toys R Us are closing branches down in America is very sad and and, and super, super duper sad actually because it means that we're getting closer to that era of not having toy shops to walk into or at least not toy shops the way we knew them to be. Hmm. Prophetic, mm. well, prophetic Paul. Your your stories kind of confirm something I, I thought I'd always known or at least heard is that Johannesburg really did get cooler toys than Cape Town did, at least distributed <laughs> to the you know to the to the shops. Mm. Like yes, I'm, I'm sure we got the, the Star Wars stuff and a couple of other things, but like the variety of cool stuff that it sounds like your toys or us had was just to me that feels unheard of in Cape Town at least. It's- no, but that's the thing. And I mean, and then and then to, to top it off or to add to that, 
you know, I know people who lived in the south of Johannesburg and who lived in the East Rand, and a lot of the warehouses and things for these Toys R Uses and pick and pays and all that stuff are there, okay? And they were picking up toys that I never even saw up here in Joburg either. So that's crazy, you know, like that's how it was. And then I remember going down to Cape Town and the first time I'd gone down to Cape Town by plane, actually, it was like, I think early 2000, like 2005, 2006, around there. But I remember the Toys R Us having, um, the one Toys R Us I walked into, I was quite surprised. It was like, they have Transformers. It was like, um, it was before the alternators, uh, kind of Transformers. It's like, it was stuff that I was like, oh, wow, it was cool to see it. Um, and I remember seeing Starscream there. And I was like, wow, I really want to get Starscream and stuff like that. And I remember a lot of toy shops in Cape Town that I'd visited, a lot of them had Japanese Transformers, which was unusual. And one in particular was one in V&A, in the V&A waterfront, um, which has since been ter- turned into some other monster now, mm, that toy shop. Pegatee's Toys. It's now a toy world. Or Toy Kingdom, sorry. It's an extension of Toy, toy Kingdom. Kingdom. I think they got to keep the name, but the stock is exactly the same. So sorry, Robert. I, I'm sorry to have confirmed that to you. But then, you know, when I hear stories of stuff that Steven saw on the pegs, like G.I. Joe stuff he saw on the pegs, I'm like, why did I never see that here? And it is very <laughs> possible that the reason I never saw it here is because, well, I wasn't much taller than the, the knee height of most adults and probably didn't look too high up under the toy shelves and see, like, frag vipers. Okay, mind you, I had a frag viper. <laughs> But see the Tiger Force or whatever, you know what I mean? On our Together, G.I. Joe can mend this broken puzzle. Mm. Mm. We'll get a full picture of uh, G.I. Joe's infiltration into South Africa by teaming up. Um, I've got one last Toys R Us memory to share. Long-time listeners may or may not know this, but I spent six months of my young adult life in the United States. Uh, I was living in South Lake Tahoe. There was no Toys R Us in that dreamy little mountain town uh just a lot of snow and snowboarding which is the primary reason why i made my pilgrimage to the great white north but there was a toys r us in a little town down the road from there or up the road from there down highway 50 and that is the biggest little town in the world uh they had a toys r us in the reno sparks (laughs) area and that was a toy pilgrimage i gladly took in my honda civic as often as possible yeah, it was always guaranteed to be a great time and just an eye-popping experience i mean finally a legit united states of america toys r us and yes they had gi joe stuff it was kind of like shunted off to the side it was it, it did not occupy nearly as much space as star wars obviously but it was like in a weird corner of the store it wasn't even with action figures it was just like its own thing um, maybe this is true of gi joe's kind of placement in toys r us stores in general or maybe i just happened to catch a lull but they had all of the o-ring comic book three packs and those were a great time i mean just they kind of the swan song of the o-ring era they were all um slightly modded but re-releases and remolds of old figures with brand so new head cool. sculpts. Uh, they had the gummy hands, so less likely to break their thumbs. And they came with a classic comic book that featured the action figures included therein. But what really caught my eye was a 
<laughs> a moray, the G.I. Joe moray, the spy troops moray, with uh, an included Night Force beachhead and a Night Force flint, who Rob <laughs> always derides as having like these whiskers painted onto his face. <laughs> <laughs> you know, his camo pattern is not quite um, a convincing one. It's like these rather sheepish-looking black stripes applied to his face and his cheekbones. He's into cosplaying, you know, cats in the bedroom with, with his J. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I I really enjoyed this, but I mean, because space in the little two-seater Civic was um, was quite limited. I cut down rather ruthlessly on packaging immediately because I was going back with tons of stuff. I had like blue box toys. I had two of the Viper uh, five packs. I don't know if you recall them, but around about that era, we were getting army builders. I mean, it was it was a, a renaissance period for G.I. Joe, really. Um, but yeah, we were getting five packs of army builders like at a s- absolute song in terms of value. I think it was like... Five dollars a figure, maybe less, four bucks a figure. Yeah, so I had a whole lot of toys and not a lot of space for the the packages. So I just dumped all the packages. I would strip out the toys in the parking lot, toss the toys in my bag and uh, throw the cardboard away. And to the credit of my girlfriend at the time, she was like, isn't that a part of the boat? And I was like, no, 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 this is just part of the plastic sprue that the uh, parts are attached to. No, don't worry, I did manage to secure the uh, the searchlight lens. But what I wound up dumping and not realizing was the slider that fits into the underside of the moray that you pull <laughs> oh, out to engage the, engage the hydrofoils. What an idiot. Oh. I dumped it <laughs> and ran. Hmm? But I, I don't blame you because that piece does look like something like designed for like safety for the packaging, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It, it does Thank look like you, that. Paul. Thank you. Fortunately, it was a piece of cake getting a replacement part online and having it sent to me like almost the very next day. God bless America. You're here. <laughs> and to end on a positive note, however, um, that Toys R Us in Reno is not on the closure list. So with any luck, it can stay open, giving joy to children for a good time to come. Touch wood. Good mojo. Mm-hmm. First of all, did you guys just kind of, in a passing way, say that uh, Johannesburg is the Shelbyville to Cape Town Springfield over there <laughs> in South Africa? <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah, going to pretend that's about right. <laughs> Do you guys have a lemon tree? Okay, uh, we second of all, I think, we have to, I think we have to salute savvy older collectors from the Toys R Us era. Those dudes that used to hide, like, uh, figures <laughs> underneath the shelving. And hide croc masters in their jocks. Oh, oh dude, I used to do that, too. And you'd go in, and they're like, oh, they're all out of this figure. And you're like, oh, are they? And then you, like, flip the cover back, and there's all these figures hidden. You're like, got another one. But no, that's uh, that's what I'm reminded of. At least in adulthood, uh, my roommate would always hit Toys R Us's. Good stuff. Yeah, man. Like, uh, didn't you guys ever do that as a kid? I used to do that all the time. I used to do that chronically because I used to go to like the like 
the usual like shopping spot for my folks and us at, at in like at the 90s when I was still like a kid, and and before then, uh, so we moved, we were used to shop at Checkers quite a bit at Cresta, and then pick and pay at Randridge Mall, and then they'd open Northgate. And what I used to do is, is if I couldn't get a toy or if I couldn't make up my mind on which toy I wanted, like specifically a G.I. Joe or a Ninja Turtle or a Thundercats or something around that line, but it's usually one of those, I used to actually go and take it and go and hide it in the teddy bears. So they used to have <laughs> these huge bins of teddy bears. Um, some some shopping centers used to have it where it was just... It wasn't teddy bears on a shelf. It was like a, a big like cage, and it was full of bears and, and cute shit. And I used to dig down to the bottom and go and hide that toy at the bottom. And then at Dion's and, and other places, I used to go and hide it behind all the, the Barbie girl stuff. So I used to go into the pink aisle and then go and hide stuff behind, like, you know, the, the, like the, uh, like the, the Play Play ovens and shit like that. I used to go and hide it there. Oh, God. Like I'm, and then, yeah, like, underneath, it, I remember in Northgate, like, um, because Northgate didn't have like too many elaborate places to hide the toys that you liked in. So I used to hide them underneath the metal. Um, the, so the shelving, you know, the shelving has like foot space, uh, underneath it. Cause I mean, the shelving is not, the shelving has foot space. So I used to actually like hide it underneath that. And I remember hiding a, it wasn't Grunt. Who was it? It was like some GI Joe toy. And I wasn't like sure if I wanted him or not. It's funny you should say that. That's exactly how I found my tomahawk. It was shoved under the metal railing. Hmm. Oh, there you go. Fucker. <laughs> <laughs> Should be a reality show. Um, no, I did want to mention, dude, when you when you mentioned Reno, oh, my God. That thing hit home because I had an important conversation in that city once upon a time. That's it. I, I haven't forgotten that city. She was 18. She that. said she was 18. No. <laughs> I'm going to crock monster in my tidy whities Want to see? You got me. You got me. <laughs> Are we going to talk cinema? Yes. While I think we've managed to put a positive spin on uh, the closure of various Toys R Us's, it is a bit of a downer. And I think a far more positive way to end this episode would be for us to discuss the proposed 2020 G.I. Joe film. That's the motion picture, yeah. Uh, News started popping up about this, sort of as a one-two punch, along with the news that the shared universe idea, we ain't going to do that no more. So in the wake of the, the negative blow, we've got a very positive one. That's, we're going to get a G.I. Joe movie. Possibly. Hopefully. And with any luck, it won't be shite. <laughs> so the topic is, gentlemen, how indeed could this proposed G.I. Joe movie not be shite? What would you guys like to see in your 2020 G.I. Joe movie? I suppose there can be two components to this. The wishful thinking component, like, if you had your way, what would you want to see? And then the, unfortunately, more realistic and far more dull angle, which is, what do you think we're going to get, ultimately? You know, when all the guys in the, the flashy suits have their say. Um, well, let, let's try and look at film trends at the moment. I mean, what's doing well in cinema now? Superhero movies are doing very well in cinema. And uh, most notably... 
Well, we, we're seeing something cool happen, or at least I think it's cool that it's happening in the superhero movies. We're starting to get less bombastic films and more interesting and stylized films. Now, I haven't watched uh, the new Black Panther. I haven't read up anything about it. I don't know much about it. But already from that, I can see, yes, it's action-packed, but it seems to be more street-level, you know, as opposed to world-ending and, and big. And the previous, or pr- prior to that, we had Thor Ragnarok, and we had Guardians, and both of those films also told, I would say Thor more than, than Guardians, but Thor was kind of more character-driven and also sort of in its own kind of universe and on the streets and not too out-of-its-way epic. And, and I hope that that is a trend that we will find that will go into the newer G.I. Joe film, a film that isn't trying to be bombastic and big and and sort of world ending it could just be sort of maybe more micro like a micro scale type thing is what we could see i've also just recently caught the new mission impossible and i also think that style of filmmaking would suit something like gi joe um but please don't have my balls uh um, here but it's just I'm, i'm just you know talking i think that's kind of what we might expect i mean if that's what's doing well in cinema that's it's possible that that's how they're going to try and spend money off this because I don't think we're going to get the love letter to GI Joe that a lot of us fans would really like. What say you, Rob? <laughs> yeah, obviously. I mean, the first one was absolutely horrendous. It was this colorful homage, I suppose, to the to the cartoon, which I suppose a lot of people are happy with, but most people, you know, like real GI Joe fans, are really upset about. <laughs> And the second one I felt was kind of moving more in the right direction, but obviously the delays with the production and them trying to, you know, push, what's his name, Tatum Channing um, more. They kind yeah. of futzed with it a bit and didn't make it the best movie ever. Oh, and also forcing it into 3D. Remember that debacle? Oh, yes, yes, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was the big reason, yeah. Like, those are the two things. Um Tanning Chatham and uh, 3D post conversion, which kind of just made it take way too long. And anyway, I'm rehashing the past. Yeah, we have previously talked about how cool Giorgio would be if, if we were obviously put in charge of this and what our ideal Giorgio film would be in episode 25 back in 2013. Obviously. obviously. Um, <laughs> I really do wish that they, they could just, you know, go period piece, sit in the 80s. Um, and just stop worrying about adding all the latest technology and making it uh, super high tech. Oh, we need the nano machines. Uh, it's super cool. Just be authentic. You don't have to worry about updating anything. Just set in the freaking 80s. All these guys come from the Vietnam War or wherever the hell that happened and all that stuff. But it probably isn't going to happen. They're going to yeah. set it up for some sort of franchise thing. Which, I mean, it's interesting that they've dumped the idea of a shared universe because that's kind of where most studios seem to be going with their franchise Happies. properties. Yeah. Um, but, but as Paul said, I mean, Marvel is taking at least it seems more chances on self-contained, not self-contained films, but like different approaches to making their films because they're kind of, I suppose, realizing that they're kind of retreading the same thing over and over and over again. I'm hoping for the best. I always hope for the best with with new things, Um, you know, as I did with uh, Force Awakens and as I did with The Last Jedi, (laughs) as I did with Justice League. I still enjoy. Oh, no, for sure. You can enjoy Justice League as much as you want. Um, No, no, not Justice League. Fuck that. I'm saying (laughs) uh, Last Jedi. (laughs) No, no, no. I I know you enjoyed it. Uh, You you said as much on the episode. 
I heard afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping for the best. I think um, as long as they just give it to Michael Bay, we should be fine. <laughs> you know, I'm not against that. I actually think Michael Bay would make a kick-ass fucking G.I. Joe movie. No, for I, sure. I think, involved, <laughs> I think everybody involved would have so much fun on it, and they would they would actually uh, i don't know i think he would have the same kind of success he's had with transformers the only thing is he won't be able to have transformers in it and i've said this before uh, i've often find found some of the best moments in the transformers films are when the military dudes are doing their thing and i've always found that their whole sort of action sequences to be very gi joe you know with the the squirrel suit stuff and in the desert in the first film, I've always like gone, oh, okay, cool, I can see that as like Flint or Falcon or whatever. And my whole brain just sort of rewrote them as Joes, and I was like, ah, oh, this is kind of what we should have as a G.I. Joe movie, you know? And and that would be more fun for me than... Well, that would be kind of fun for me as well. I mean, just just a thought. <clears throat> Popular opinion, <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Kuja, what, what, what do you hope for? What, what do you want from this? What do you think it's going to be? Am I hiding from some people ringing my doorbell at the second? Um, <laughs> Does this happen often, Kujo? <laughs> no, it's a rarity. Um, I think, uh, ooh, man, there's so many ways to answer this. Uh, for me, I, I think that when you're thinking about G.I. Joe as a property now, you have to realize that people are growing up with cell phones in their hands, not action figures. So I think I would go the the miniseries route, and I would kind of go with a uh, something on Netflix to to kind of pace yourself a little bit better, so you don't have to blow your wad in like two hours. Um, yeah. But I I am kind of still aping my way around this concept because uh, you learn you learn thematics as you go, I guess, or or learn storytelling, but. The integrity of storytelling is important to the adult G.I. Joe viewer because because of Hama. Um, that, that's the short version. So I don't think you can go like uh, reckless destruction, you know, kind of like shooting icicles into London or whatever. <laughs> I think you kind of like start small. And if it catches fire, then do like a Black Series action figure set you know kind of reverse engineer it i think i've said that before mm. what i would accept or what i would w- at least what would be topical is if the new franchise explored the fact that people within the u.s military start to understand that the the leadership of the country has been compromised and that could be gi joe like a story about people in the military kind of maybe doing an underground railroad or railroad kind of scenario to kind of, you know, can you see that or is that too caustic? No, I can see that. But I also like what you're saying is kind of like what they did. They just did the, the, the Deke animation version of it already, you know, with uh, <laughs> Zartan <laughs> pretending to be the president. You know, well, kind and of- honestly, like when that movie gets replayed on TV and it starts to ping on Twitter, like people are like, you know, looking back, this movie actually starts to make sense, given the, the current political situation. But Damn, Zartan. Nice come over. Well, yeah. <laughs> it could be. <laughs> That's too good. That's too good. No, I think, uh, I think it could be done tastefully. Like, 
if you put Hama as like an advisor to the movie, I think you'd have people buying their tickets before they even saw anything. He was, wasn't he? Didn't they consult him on Rise of Cobra? They even gave him a cameo, yeah, which but... then subsequently got cut. I mean, heartbreaking. Yeah, but not not necessarily a story consultant. I think it was more like, hey, let's get that guy involved. People recognize him. Um, yeah. It's kind of well, like the level of having Stan Lee involved in, in the Marvel films. He's not being, you know, asked, you know, to touch all the girls' tushes to make sure that everything's fine down there. <laughs> you know, he's just he's just he's just there to be seen. But yes, well, here's, I think here's a, a higher level of involvement by Larry Hama would be pretty awesome. Kuja? When you're talking about the PC culture and should people be shooting real guns on screen as opposed to laser guns or, or whatever? I mean, have you seen how much money people spend on guns? Do you know about the NRA? I'm not saying you have to love it, but you have to understand the marketplace. Like, do a period piece that's about people and their guns. And if you're telling me, like, that that interest doesn't exist, I'm going to say that you're short-sighted. But... I know that's probably not going to happen, but if I were drawing a comic, let's say hypothetically, I would make it about a person and their tools. Like, how well does that person know their gun? When that gun comes out of the holster, like, give me a freeze frame. Give me a caption about what that gun and that person have been through. Like, that's what I want. I want I want some gun porn. Oh, I'm not a violent expendable. person. Yes, but... They're they're too much like look at me. I want regular people with nine elevens, you know, like going off in tight hallways, that kind of things. I'm sorry, nineteen elevens, rather. Hmm. I think the big challenge of this film is to settle on its tone. It sounds to me like, guys, you're you're in favor of, um, and particularly Paul and Cujo. You know, Paul, you cited things like the Marvel Stabler movies, which have taken on a more perhaps lighthearted, zany tone, uh, very much yeah. comic booky. And and Cooge, you want to do these kind of like gun porn, freeze frame, sucker punch moments where it's, you know, you're kind of removed from reality and it's like <clears throat> comic book frame, Guy Ritchie style, like rotoscoped animation. That is very fashionable. And I think an 80s property lends itself to that. Like, even if you do set it in the now, like, you can list a number of properties that trade heavily on, like, just a nostalgia tone. Uh, Stranger Things sets itself in the past, but also, you know, the soundtracking, the typography, the general feel of it uh, harks back to that time. Um, You can transplant that vibe into a, a film that's set currently. That said, I've still got to say my first prize is in line with what, what Rob was saying. Uh, I'd even go one further and to say that my ultimate G.I. Joe movie would literally be the first 10 issues of the real American Hero comic book. Because whether you're a cartoons guy, comic book guy, action figure guy, I think all the adult members of the G.I. Joe community and the kids, maybe, if they're into reading like I was can agree that those first 10 issues, there was something very special about them. Uh, The OG-13, Cobra being a very nefarious, undefined threat. And this comes back to my my tone uh, discussion, and that's, there was a spy thriller feeling 
to all the scenes that deal with Cobra. It's like a secret lair underwater or an undisclosed location which just looks like a, a nerve center to this massive, I don't know, massive base. But we don't know where it is. And it's like masked people typing. It's very Spectre. It's very uh, Hydra. So yeah, it's very Dr. What, no. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, Cobra Commander wasn't a bumbling idiot or a madman. He was just a extremely dangerous enigma. Uh, you did not want to get on his bad side because it meant like a venomous mutated snake was going to engulf you or just be snuck into your quarters while you slept. Like, or he would just outright pull a gun on you and shoot you down and no one would bat an eyelid because he's in charge. And if you're in his presence, yeah, best believe you need to be prepared for shit like that. <sighs> We're not going to get it. No movie producer in their right mind would bank on a comic book that's 30 years more, 40 years old, coming up on, uh, by 2020. And one that, you know, didn't necessarily do a huge run of sales. I mean, but we've seen how stupidly, you know, Warner Brothers have played their two ace cards, that being, you know, the two best-selling DC books, Dark Knights and Death of Superman, in one movie uh, and and fouled it so badly. So a lesser-known run of comics, maybe that's your ticket to success. It would certainly capture the essence of what G.I. Joe, a real American hero, was at its outset. And that's an ensemble piece, a close-knit group of real soldiers. This is important. In and amongst all the fantastical elements brought in by the villains, the threat, Cobra. You've got real guys, blood and guts guys, drawn from the best of the best, the service branches of the United States military, and maybe, maybe for a little bit of international flavor, a few internationals as well, working in this clandestine organization that quarters underneath the chaplain assistance uh, motor pool in Fort Wadsworth, which is a comically, beautifully convoluted... <laughs> place to be quartered i mean let's just have a moment for larry harmer's sense of humor and wit i mean it's just it's too good to be true not only are they working for the army chaplains but they're working for their motor pool you know if anyone kind of peeled back the layers a bit they're like well what vehicles does a chaplain need beyond maybe a jeep or a a truck if he's transporting you know extra seating <laughs> yeah. like, what what the hell man so keep your G.I. Joe team grounded and real keep your threat the sort of Bondian Fleming-esque noir megalomaniacal but very enigmatic kind of villain and make it as colorful and as location rich and as as sci fantasy rich as possible. And and look, Rise of Cobra did a lot of things wrong, but you've got to commend them on trying to capture that sci fantasy element that made G.I. Joe just a couple of steps beyond contemporary military. They had submarines battling in enormous dunk tanks inside the pit. They had remote control arrows that Scarlet used. They had accelerator suits. 
So they had a whole bunch of things that may or may not have precedent in G.I. Joe proper, but at least they tried. Mm. I would say have that same tone, but make sure that your subs are sharks and sea rays. Make sure Mm. that your accelerator suits are snake armors. Make sure that everything you incorporate into this film is a rehash of something that has precedent, something that is old, because... It is just an absolute love letter, an Easter egg to fans like us who place as much importance on the the vehicles and equipment as we do on the characters. Get the ensemble right, but make sure they have all the cool toys to play with. And to answer the debates on whether it's going to be bullets or lasers, I go bullets, but you'll have a guy on the team called Snowjob who gets to crack open an XMLR because... He's been trained on this brand new cutting edge piece of equipment. And you've got a guy called Flash who works it up for him in the armory. I thank you. <laughs> okay. So I would just like to just comment on something quickly. The examples I gave earlier are not necessarily what I wanted to be. They are examples of what I'm sure we can expect with what Yeah, with where the, the industry form. is at this point. Yeah, I think you did yeah. a preface. What I what want is very in line with what Stevens just mentioned now. And I think if you guys go back, if our listeners go back to our What If G.I. Joe Berg Made a G.I. Joe, uh, Joe Film, which is episode 25, Rob? Yep. Okay, good. Then I think you guys would get a good understanding of what we would really like. But the thing is, you know, acceptable losses and, 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 and maturity has taught us that we can't have the nice things that we want all the time. But I would settle for anything that's even close to what Stevens sort of suggesting. I'd even settle for, I'd even settle for an Expendables. Like literally, if they made the Expendables and they called them the GI Joes, and it made the brand a lot of money, and they made the fucking toys again, <laughs> I would be happy with that. I'd be like, that ain't my GI Joe, but I got me some toys. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I'd be happy with that. But honestly, yeah. dude, if they made a Gears of War clone using. G.I. Joe's and Cobra skins, and obviously didn't cut out all the chainsaw kills and stuff. That would almost be like new action figures if you just released the skins in years, you know? Mm. I feel like that Mm. would be the closest thing to kind of reviving the action figure heat. Yeah, for sure. And do do you guys think that, like, maybe they'll take the approach of making, like, a Snake Eyes movie or something like that? And then, like, I mean, hear me out. I mean, I know a lot of people are listening to this and going, oh, God, not Snake Eyes again. But hear me out. It's a bankable character for, for Hasbro. And it's an easy sell. So they could, like, essentially make a Snake Eyes film. And then that could be evolved into, um, like, at the end of it, it could be, like, it could turn into, like, G.I. Joe. It could be, like, oh, throughout the movie, there's these different people. And then the next movie is, like, the G.I. Joe movie or something. You know, that... That's also one way I could see them sort of uh, approaching it. I mean, good and bad. Like, if you're talking about how do stories get mined into cinema, like IDW is actually, if if, if you kind of understand what they do, they throw a lot of different types of G.I. Joe at you. So, like, you could have creative looks at G.I. Joe. I don't think the brand will go that way. But I, I don't know. I would make fans salivate for a snake eyes movie because he's so overplayed uh and that's the negative side of idw is i think they want they always force people to use snake eyes and we kind of want to give him a rest so yeah 
Like Wolverine. Well, I've always moved they? for Snake Eyes being placed at the center of the G.I. Joe-verse for two reasons. The obvious one is marketability. You know, if, if there's one standout character of G.I. Joe, it's Snake Eyes. Uh, everyone knows him. Everyone enjoys... Well, most people enjoy it before it gets completely overblown. The idea of a ninja in a cool outfit with an Uzi and a sword and a wolf. Um, love him or hate him for his overexposure. It's hard to argue the the merits of that as like a cool pseudo-military but also esoteric hybrid. But having him at the center of a movie gives you the most options because all of a sudden your film is a Vietnam flick and it's a chop socky flick and <laughs> if you really want to get that oscar nod it's a dealing with disabilities flick a la <laughs> my left foot or rain man i mean here you have a protagonist who can't speak who's horribly disfigured it's it, it has the potential to have a lot of hearts if handled correctly you know there are so many elements that snake eyes's character involve and yet, we don't even have a first name for him. He's an enigma, once again. So yeah, I've, I've, often, I've often made the argument that Snake Eyes can serve as a lens, a mute lens, for the rest of this G.I. Joe world. So yeah, I think a standalone Snake Eyes movie is a great idea. Let's give people house, something to listen to in episode 25. You're just giving away the whole plot of that episode. <laughs> well, as I recall, the audio on that episode was piss poor, so I, I don't know if I want to subject any of our current listeners to that. But yeah, guys, if you want to reach back into the archives, I'm not going to stop you. With the whole Snake Eyes being a character and what Cujo said now with uh, IDW always trying things and trying out a different Snake Eyes. I mean, currently, and, and Rob asked the question, isn't Snake Eyes dead? Well, yes, Rob Snake Eyes is, and he's been... he's thoughts and whatever have been transplanted into some female ninja female character i don't know the depths of this and i really do what i really would like to just get into that story a little bit just so i know what's potting but long story short uh we've got a badass female ninja character which right now i think would make her more bankable or would make snake eyes a more bankable option in today's market as well with with our cinema market sort of craving uh, badass bankable female characters. So there's also that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. I think our listeners have a lot to think about now. I think they're, they're more than prepared to talk to us about how cool G.I. Joburg 3, I mean G.I. Joburg 3, <laughs> G.I. Joe 3 is going to be. Oh, definitely. It's interchangeable. <laughs> Yep, yep, yep. Indeed it is. Um, they should invite us to do cameos, I think. <laughs> well, you know, if we get to Jokon and we meet enough of these people, I think definitely our, our name recognition should be big enough by 2020 for them to put us in. <laughs> Okay, so let's close out the show, gents. Um, Look, I'm just grateful we have the potential of a movie on the horizon to begin with. Because Mm. movies mean new toys. And G.I. Joe, what is it without new toys? Uh, We gotta hook new kids. We gotta keep it interesting. I mean, I'm not about to throw up my hands and say, the ship's going down. I think there is something so compelling and so cool at the essence of this toy line 
and the essence of this brand. Uh, we just need to uncover that. And further to that, look out for episode 109 because I've just had some of my faith restored in G.I. Joe. Uh, so it's there. The flame can be rekindled if you just know what, what to do with it. Just to end us off, since we did launch our TTBP video uh, two hours ago now, <laughs> uh, Rob helped me out with the filming of that. Do you have any memories or any uh, insights to share on the process of making that vid, Rob? In case anyone wants to cross-reference and uh, check out the video and then go back to this podcast and go like, Hey, cool, docky, inside information. <laughs> I remember it was probably one of the less windy days. We struggled a bit with the lifting those choppers and making the TTBP move across. So cool. Can we just have a moment for that? Come on. Has any other G.I. Joe toy reviewer done that before not that i've ever seen so, and no, i've watched quite a few others. reviews <laughs> we hoisted the ttbp up using four helicopters three dragonflies and one core demon helicopter but you know jeez <laughs> close enough close enough close enough um but probably my my favorite memory of uh, filming that day was uh so it was a pretty overcast day um it was threatening, threatening to rain a lot of the time, which is was pretty awesome for Cape Town, considering we're we're heading towards uh, day zero um, in the next couple of months. Re uh, the drought in Cape Town is leading to a point where we have no water anymore. But anyway, I'm I'm moving off topic. Um, while we were recording in our favorite place to record, because it just kind of blocks off a lot of the the scenery, you know, kind of like man-made stuff. A, a homeless gentleman uh, proceeded to walk out to our little island we were filming on. And we were like, oh, shit, is something going to go down now? Or maybe that was just me. But um, no, no, he was just – he moved to kind of the adjacent island and then uh, started to clean himself off. He was completely <laughs> naked and uh, just kind of, sort of like washing himself down. Um, so he was there oh, for wow. the, the latter half of our recording. We had to kind of frame him out and crop him out <laughs> as best we could. <laughs> Yeah, no, otherwise, you know, not safe for work at all. Not safe for YouTube. We would get a, you know, we get stricken, age restricted, maybe I don't know. But when we left, um, we left him reading naked on his island. Yeah, he had a little so, novel with him, and he's yeah, he turning did. those pages. It's bizarre. You know, I mean, I'd rather he spend money on books than on booze. So you know, power to him. And that was his idea for Sunday well spent. Just. Swinging in the breeze with a, a, a good read. <laughs> it's like a Sunday morning. <laughs> yeah, man. So uh, that, that's probably my favorite aspect of the shoot that you won't necessarily see in, in the video itself, uh, unless you're really looking. Uh. <laughs> and my personal insights, uh, when you've got two guys with a dragonfly in hand each trying to hoist up <laughs> a... 30-year-old toy, it would really help to have a third person to operate the camera. Oh, absolutely. That was definitely something we, we kept mentioning. We're like, God damn you, Paul, living in your, your, your you know, water just coming out of your taps town in town. Freaking yeah. northern South Africa. You should be down here with us, you know. Mm. Listen, you can have water too if you're willing to accept lots of crime. Um, no. <laughs> I, I joke, I joke, 
I watched that movie and I had serious, uh, what do the kids call it, FOMO? Because I was just like, oh, you guys look like you had so much fun and I really wish I was there because, oh, some of those shots are magical. And one of my favorite shots, uh, and it's kind of an innocuous shot anyway, but uh, it's the control tower portion of the TTBB, mm-hmm. BP, with the glass and the glass has got all the raindrops on it. Uh, it's got drops on it, and it just looks wet, and it just and and that just sells the whole mood. It'd be so nice if it had a grade. Crickets for effect. Anyway, um, <laughs> but grade. But, what is this grade? Does it mean I have to sit in front of a laptop even more? <laughs> no, fuck that. Because I, I and I actually I only thought of it now, and I was like, oh fuck, it needs a grade. I could have easily just downloaded and put a grade on and put it back up. And fuck, I'm an idiot. But anyway, I've been going through my own shit, um, so I haven't been Paul, thinking properly. Paul, there comes a point when you realize it's really just a video with two adult males playing with their vintage action figures, and you're like, it's not art. <laughs> uh, I think it's art. A lot of people I've uh, showed it to think it's art. But anyway, um, I digress. Um, that is one of my favorite shots in there, and all I can think of, okay, when I see that shot, and I don't know if this is true, but I've got a feeling it is, that Steven is there sprinkling water on the TTBP to get that feel. <laughs> He's sprinkling water. <laughs> That's no, like all I can that think is of. completely in camera. I mean, that happens on the day. You know, as I said, we were fighting the weather, as it were. Not fighting it, but only near the end did it start to kind of start drizzly, rainy thing. And I think we missed the shot. Steven was like, oh, no, I forgot to get that thing I wanted. So we went back. And that's when the, the drizzly stuff came up. Mm, oh, yeah. We, oh, we, the weather was, was coming in and we decided, uh, let's pack it up. And then we got to the car and I was like, ah, we didn't shoot the weapons rack, damn it. <laughs> so we trudged out there again. <laughs> Rob, no, the was... silent protest, he's like, oh, damn. We were so close. <laughs> and, um, yeah, that's that's where the drizzly drizzly uh, glass effect happened. I love your scarf, Rob. Oh, guys, we've got two dislikes already. Hmm. Maybe that's got to do with the fact that we uh, we put a punt at the end. Um, I know, I know, I said before that G.I. Joburg does not do paid content. We will always put up our stuff for free. But we did decide to end this video with a call to action that if our GoFundMe hits a milestone of $1,000, we will release part two of this video. And I'd like to think that that's an exception because we're going to release it anyway. I mean, I'm sure the GoFundMe, with or without the help of the viewers of that video, will reach $1,000. Part two is assured for free. But... If anyone watching Atlantis Factor Part 1 featuring the TTBP happens to want that video to drop sooner, well, guess what? You can speed us along. With them dollar, dollar bills. Take that Starbucks coffee cut and throw us five bucks. <laughs> Please. I really want to go to America, guys. Come on. Uh. Yeah, I would really like to go to America, too. <laughs> I've never been overseas. I've And I want to go to JoeCon. I want to meet the Dave Cabals and the Gregs and everybody. I want to meet you guys, you know, so... And I promise it. you guys, this isn't just us trying to, you know, get like a free trip, you know, to America and to JoeCon and stuff. It is literally the only way. Like, I know personally for myself, there is no ways in like 10 years 
working at the current bookshop that I would be able to save up enough money to be able to go anywhere. Um, so in my case, at least, uh, I know that without the help of our fantastic listeners and anyone else who comes by, but especially our listeners, um, I would I would never be able to make it something so cool. And it's definitely something that I'm going to remember for a long time if it happens. And Robert it, Tagman. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, Kujo, what, what do you what, what do you think of this whole situation? What do you think of Joe Fund Me? Well, th- this is definitely the beginning of an era, and that era is probably consumer-designed content. You can see a lot of the main storytelling in our society feeding into one media. These are original voices. I, I don't think it's charity. Trust me, I'm not pocketing any of this. Uh, this is to get three dudes and change their lives. Uh, that's all. This is a great network, and we're just getting started. That is a threat, actually. But I, I don't think it's a big deal. Break something off. Uh, yeah, I, I think we'll uh, see everybody in June. Get some T-shirts, guys. Don't miss these T-shirts. That's all. <laughs> I think on that note, we're going to call it a night. Thanks, everyone, for joining us for episode 108 of G.I. Joburg. And thanks to everyone who's commented on the video so far. Lots of cool, positive comments. Uh, Ben, you said you loved it. Thanks for helping us fix that link. Sheldon, I'm glad we can make you feel like a kid again. Uh, That's fantastic. Thanks, Summoner, for saying we're awesome. Or maybe the video's awesome. I don't know. I'm going to take it as saying we're awesome. (laughs) And also, thanks so much, Mike. We, we are definitely going to hold on. We're very positive that we're going to get there. And definitely, obviously, winter season, holidays, people, you know, you, you got family and friends to spend on. But uh, anything else, dude, anything else. And thanks so much. Cheers. Yeah. Yo, Joe. Erg. <laughs> <laughs> so long, guys. See you in 209. One. 109. <laughs> 109. Wow. Well, you don't have to skip 101 episodes. <laughs> oh, jeez, I am in danger of doing that. I'm delirious. Uh, you wished everyone a good night. I'm going to wish everyone a good day since it is 7 a.m. Australian time. Oh, please tell me we've annoyed your neighbor. Um, no. My neighbor today happens to be a hospital, a rural hospital. Uh, so. I'm pretty sure they're adequately soundproofed over there. I'm probably very grateful to hear some South African voices. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man. All right. Nice one, lads. Bye-bye. Cheers, dudes.